Well, amen. Let's go back to chapter 16. I'm only kidding. Open your Bible. <laughs> Open your Bible to chapter number seven, 17. I guess I've asked, I've had more parents to ask me to put that in some type of form that they could give their young people and teach their young people, uh, maybe than anything I've ever done. And I, I just believe that was of God. So I, if the Lord let me live, I intend to do that um, because I believe that's something that is rarely, rarely taught and especially taught in the environment it should be taught. So tonight uh, in Genesis chapter 17, <clears throat> we've kind of got to the end of 16 very quickly last week and, and began to kind of just quickly delve into 17 and finally I saw I was just not going to have a chance to go anywhere and we just stopped. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about, and if we have time, two things, but especially one thing tonight, the, signif the significance of circumcision. Uh, this, we could maybe say it this way, the circumcision of the covenant. The circumcision of the covenant. I've divided it into three sections. Section number one will be the reaffirmation of the covenant. That's just verses one through nine. And then there's the ritual of the covenant, verses 10 through 14. And then there's the response to the covenant, verses 15 through 27. Now, there has never ever been a nation... There's never ever been a nation, a Jewish state, since the Jews lost it in A.D. 70. Now, there's been, they've been under control, but there's never been a Jewish state until 1948. Y'all remember that? Now, remember, there has been a Jewish land. There has been a land of promise. There's been a, I need a little bit more volume here, right here, please. Uh, I, there has been a land of promise. We know what God has said, but there has never been a state there now since A.D. 70 until 1948. That's a long time, isn't it? And yet all through that time, we're having problems with Hagar. So when we talk about the length of a sin, it goes a long way. We're not done with it yet. We're still dealing with Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar and their sin. And God basically lays the sin at the feet of Abraham and Sarai, right? Or Abram and Sarai as they are now. So, waiting on God, at this point, after all we've been through in chapter 16, waiting on God becomes a fixed principle in Abram's mind. Nearly 25 years, and still he has no son. 13 years since he tried to fix it and have a son, and all he did was break it by having a son. So, when he broke the plan of God 
He set the will of God back at least 13 years. Now, I don't know when that child would have been born, but we know it would have been born sometime in that period of time, and he set the will of God back. 13 years. We don't know what God would have done. Maybe in the next day, God would have spoke. But he couldn't wait on God. Sarah, I couldn't wait on God. And so I just, I just want us tonight to just say to ourselves, God, would you put in my mind the mindset of the principle of to wait on the Lord, be of good cheer, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Will y'all say that with me? Just wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord. That ought to be our, our, our covenant. You see, that ought to be our heart tonight is to wait on God. So for 13 years, God hadn't spoken to Abraham. God hadn't spoken to Abraham. I, I kind of doubt Sarah had spoken to him much. <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. It wasn't like that marriage was great in their tents because after what had happened there and everything had gone through and, and all the problems had gone through, I counted out God hadn't spoke much to him. I doubt Sarah had spoke much to him. If she did, I'm sure it was in a tone that wasn't loving and kind and gracious and submissive. And so for 13 years, God not spoken. He's 86 years old on Ishmael's birth. And at 99 years old, God breaks the silence and spoke to Abram. It's always a mistake to hasten God's work. And so I think Abraham learned that during this process of time. And so for 13 years, nothing noteworthy, now get this, nothing noteworthy in Abram's life, nor had he had a word from God for 13 years. Isn't that amazing that you spend 13 years of life and nothing noteworthy by God is written about you, nothing good about you is written about you by God, and God doesn't have anything to say to you, and God won't talk to you for 13 years, and you don't have to ask him why. You know why. Because you did what he said not do. God said, when you get back to the place to where you're ready to do what I want to do, I'll talk to you. He said, man, that seems kind of harsh. Well, not nearly as harsh as it was on Moses. Moses goes out one day, and you remember he sees one of his people getting mistreated and beaten, and the Bible says he goes out there and gets into it with one of those Egyptians that he was supposed to be over, and the Bible says that he got carried away and killed that dude, buried him in the sand, but somebody saw him, told on him, and he was on the run. And the Bible says that we don't hear anything about him for 40 more years. Think about this. God was about to do a mighty work through the prince of Egypt, Joseph. And because of Joseph's sin, one sin, he set the work of God back 40 years. 40 years. Don't blame God for not doing stuff when we don't obey him. I, I, am I going to have to say that again? That's what I like doing in revival. I just get to screaming and running and hollering, and I don't hear where they say amen or not. I can say my own amens. But the truth of the matter is, 40 years is a long time for God not to say a word. 
But the Bible says that impatience silences God. Impatience silences God. Can y'all get with that tonight? Moses rushed God, slew an Egyptian, and it took 40 years for him to hear God. 40 years. So I don't think well to think about those things in the past. God does. God does. And sometimes it stops the work of God or sets the work of God back or pushes it aside until there is a clearing of the air, until there is an openness between, again, the lines between us and heaven again. And that's what happens here. Dry times today may be the result of rushing God. Have you ever thought about that? That sometimes we have dry times in our church, it's because we rushed God. We made stuff happen that shouldn't have happened. We got to do this because somebody else is doing it. We got to do this because they're doing it over there. We got to do this because they're doing it out there. And we rush God. God don't bless it and slows the work and slows the harvest. Surely y'all agree with that. Dry times, in my opinion, um, results in rushing God or stepping ahead of God yesterday are ignoring God and God says let's just see if they'll wait on me now been 13 years I see if they'll wait <laughs> let's just see if they'll wait now so it's best not to have here, here write this line down it's best not to have too many Ishmael's running around now with me it's best not to have too many Ishmaels running around. Because just one Ishmael, look what he's called us. The more Ishmaels you've got running around, the more problems you've got in your life and the more problems you place in other people's lives. And you know what? You bring those problems with you to church. You bring those problems with you to your work. You bring those problems with you to your marriage. So be real careful about that. So tonight, I hope that you have gotten that part of what we've been talking about. There is a time when God wants to restore us back to the place to where we were, but yet we pushed God and stepped ahead of God or ignored God or wouldn't wait on God. And God is just looking for us to come and say, God, I have sinned against you. My heart is broken. I'm sorry I broke your heart. And God, I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. Would you please do what you meant to do in my life? And so, obviously, Abraham had had some kind of experience like that. And notice when verses 1 through 9. First of all, the reaffirmation of the covenant. It had to do, first of all, with God's name. Secondly, it had to do with Abram's name. Now, God's name is in verse number one. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the almighty God. Did you hear that? I am. Now, whenever you see that I am, you can shout just a little bit because coming after I am is going to be something real good. You know it? I am almighty God. 
And so he says, I am almighty God. What did we say that meant? El, what did we say that meant? El Shaddai, El Shaddai. You folks in the back, get more than you folks up front, okay? Let's say it together. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, the almighty one, the self-sufficient one, the one that has everything he needs in him and everything you'll ever need in you. El Shaddai, that's who he is. It means all-powerful, all-sufficient, that he can do anything and meet any need. You say, well, you don't know some of the problems in my life. I don't have to know the problems in your life, but I do know the problem solvers for your life. I know that. You see, he is a satisfier. El Shaddai goes even further than that. He not only is self-contained in the fact that he has everything he needs and everything you need, but he can satisfy you with what you need. You see, a lot, it takes a whole lot to satisfy some of us, doesn't it? But once you start understanding where your blessings come from, and once you start understanding who the God is that's blessing you, it doesn't take nearly as much to satisfy you as it did before. He's a satisfier. He pours himself into the believer, makes him faithful. And so this growing old man needed to hear this name, El Shaddai. Why? Because he's 99 years old and he's got to have a boy. He needs El Shaddai. You don't see too many you know, too many little kids running up to 99-year-old men and say, come on, Dad, let's ride the Ferris wheel. That don't happen. And so, look, God's name, basically, when you say that word, El Shaddai, it, it, it causes you to have a God consciousness about you. In other words, you're conscious of the fact that you wouldn't have anything if you didn't have El Shaddai. You, you couldn't get anything fixed and you wouldn't have anything in your life and you'd never ever be content. You'd never have any peace if it wasn't for El Shaddai. So look, God's name, first of all, dealt with their feet. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and live in knowledge. This God's eyes is always on me. That's what, he wants, that's what he's wanting them to see. Walk before me and you'll understand I'm always looking at you. I'm always looking at you. You say, well, how can God look at everybody at the same time? Don't ask those questions because God didn't answer it. He just said he could. If he, can. if he said he could, he can. Right? If he said he could, he can. His eyes, his eyes, his on us, all of us. Anytime, everywhere, his eyes, when we walk before him, is on us. So he wants us to be perfect. That word means mature or complete because it means that we're totally dedicated, totally devoted to the Lord. And so it actually is the word that we use in the New Testament for the filling of the Spirit. So he goes on and does that. So his all-sufficient name says, walk with knowledge that everything you need for life's journey will be in Jesus Christ. Live totally to me and I will satisfy your soul. That's what he's saying. How are you walking in the light of the covenant of Abraham? Uh, how is it? How are you walking in the light of the covenant of Abraham? You see, when you walk in the light of the covenant of Abraham, here's what you're doing. 
you're walking in the light of eternal assurance. You see, I'd lose my mind tonight if I thought you could lose your salvation. I would. I wouldn't have to get, get to hell to be tore up. I'd be tore up now. But I'm glad that when we walk under El Shaddai, that El Shaddai has everything that I need and you need to make sure we don't go to hell. We go to heaven. Amen. That's what he says. Now, uh, then he says he deals with God's face. Look, El Shaddai meant he deserved worship, but he also deserved his walk. The desire for his feet and the promise of fruit put Abraham on his face. Look, he gets on his face, the Bible said. He falls on his face before God, and God talked with him on his face. Maybe why some of us can't talk to God is we just don't get low enough. And I'm not talking about that you have to find you a dirty place. You don't have to wallow like a hog somewhere in a pig pen to get to talk to God. What he's saying is that you're so broken, you don't care where you're at. You don't care what's around you. You don't care what condition you're in. You just know you need to talk to him, and you need to talk to him now. That's what he said. Talk to him now. So he's concerned about his face. Baptists have a... A lot to talk about our feet. We won't tell everybody what we've done. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. I've done that. We'll have sometimes people move their membership over here. I taught Sunday school for 25 years over here, and I taught, I taught the little children for 25 years over here, and I worked in nursery 20 years over here, and I did this over here. And, and so they come into the church, and they won't do a blessed thing here. Folks, this is not a retirement center. It's a place to go to work. And that's what he's saying right here. El Shaddai wants not only that walk, but that worship. He wants us to work and walk with him, but he wants us to worship with him while we're working and walking with him. Amen? So, uh, thirdly, God's name covered his fruit in verse number six. Look, look, look at what it says. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful and make thee a nation of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. That's an awful powerful statement. I mean, look, look at that. Just, just slow down. Let's read it. I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Where does most of the kings of the world today come from? The Arab world. The Arab world. Most of the kings of the world come from the Arab world. We don't have a king. We've never had a king. Obama thought he was, but he's not king. The reason we are in this country is because we didn't want to be under a king. Except one king. And now we want to protest the fact that we're under one king, the Lord God, saying that, oh no, that's racist. How can it be racist to be under one God who doesn't recognize color except the color of blood? Beats me. 
I can't get it. God's name dwelt with his fruit. This all-sufficient God would make him fruitful. That means an unconditional covenant. Doesn't matter what's going to happen, he is going to be fruitful. When I say an unconditional covenant, that means he doesn't have to do anything to make it happen. Okay? Now, this is based solely on his name, El Shaddai. When he says that in verse number 6, and I, and he's going back to verse number 1, because I am El Shaddai, I'm going to make this happen. You see, the names of God is so big in the Bible, so big in the Bible, so big in understanding the Bible. I, El Shaddai, will make you fruitful because I have everything in me. You need to be fruitful, and I'll put everything in you. You need to be fruitful. Woo! Don't tell me, isn't that good? And that'll still work, by the way, because Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 5, for without me, you can do nothing. And he was talking about bearing fruit. Notice how many eye wheels it is. Verse 2, I will make. Verse 6, I will make. Verse 7, I will establish. Verse 8, I will give. You see, everything that was happening, whose name was behind it? El Shaddai. Fourteen times in this chapter, God says, I will. Thirteen years, Abraham couldn't wait. And now, fourteenth time, he speaks. Don't you think that's interesting? Now, God's name covered the fourth thing. He's covered the future. He says, it's an everlasting covenant. That's an eternal contract. Look at verse 7. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed and thee and generation for an everlasting covenant. Now, if it's everlasting, how long does it last? Ever, yeah. yeah. Don't you think ever means ever? Yeah. I don't really think you can interpret, misinterpret that. Ever means ever. Everlasting covenant to be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. Don't you love that? So let's, let's look at his future. Only not all those other things we talked about, but God has the future all figured out. Now get this. Get this. God has the future all figured out, but while he's got it all figured out, He's got all of his children figured into his plan. Now, I don't know how he does it, but every time somebody gets saved, they fill a spot, and he figures them into his plan. Only El Shaddai can do that because only El Shaddai has a mind that has everything in it that can think like that. I can't think like that. But he can. I, 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 I like to think one, two, three, four, five. Uh, uh, A, one, two, three, four, five. B, one, two, three, four, five. Roman numeral one, Roman numeral two, Roman numeral three. You know, I like to have some, some schedule. God has a plan, and then everything that happens, God fits us in that plan. So that's what he says. His contract is for the future. A game changer. <laughs> Amen. And so, um, that's why that, uh, I, I guess I've always got to say something controversial. 
Might as well get it out of the way. A name change in Abram and Sarah manifest God's authority in this covenant over Abraham. When God changed his name, it, Abram means exalted father, but Abraham means the father of a multitude. So instead of thinking about one who's exalted, he's thinking about multi-millions that's exalted. Are you seeing that? So God changed Abram's name where every time someone called his name, it said, God has promised this old man many descendants. 99 years old, he's walking to the grocery store and on his way to Walmart, somebody's sitting out there smoking in the front. That hey, old man, I hear you're going to have a bunch of young'uns. He said, that's right. Well, how in the world are you going to do that? It's called El Shaddai. And that guy said, I don't even know who he's talking about. He moves on down the road. Because that meant a father of a multitude. 99-year-old man, and he's fixing to be a father of a multitude. (laughs) If I was 99 God told me that, that'd scare me to death. If God just told me I was going to have one more at 99, it'd scare me to death. But here... Look, look, he's not done. He said, God changed Abram's name where every time somebody called it, they was also calling the name of God. Right? They were saying the father of a multitude, only God can do that. Now, this promise was not based on Abram's flaws or his failures or his futilities or his faithfulness because the ownership of the land was God's but the possession of the land was left up to them. Wouldn't it be great to be named by God? Your mom and daddy hung. Some of us got names hung on us. If we could go back and say, Mom, Dad, why don't you give me that name? We'd like to change that name. We would, wouldn't we? Some of us don't like all of our names. Let's just be honest. But... We didn't have anything to do with that because, you know, either mom and dad was drunk or, 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 or something when they named us. I don't know. But have you ever noticed about every 50 years or 25 years, people start changing names and everybody's named Mike and in the next generation, everybody's named Steve and the next generation, every name's Susie and the next generation, every name's Nancy. And, you know, it just kind of goes like that. So, Notice he changes his name here because God is in the name-changing business. And according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, when I get to heaven and when you get to heaven, God's going to give you a new name. And the Bible says it's a name that no man else can have except you. And it's not the old name people remembered you by down here. It's the name that El Shaddai has given you. Oh, isn't that good? See, I, I, I really think today there's several ways of dying. I heard about three old men that's talking. One of them, you know, how old men sit around and talk, whittle. You know, I'm getting to be one of them. I know how they act. 
and one of them was 85 years old, and they were talking about how they'd like to die. The 85-year-old man looked, and he said to the rest of them, he said, I tell you what I'd like to do. He said, I'd just like to drop dead with a heart attack, just boom, and be over with right there. Well, that's good. But the 95-year-old guy was sitting there, and he said, you know, I'd just like to die in my sleep. But there was a 105-year-old man sitting there, and he said, I'd like to be shot by a jealous husband. <laughs> Ain't going to happen, but hey, <laughs> expectations. It's great to be named by God. Now, next week, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this matter of circumcision, and I want you to get it good. Because when we get to the New Testament, it's going to mean a whole lot to you in understanding and interpreting much of the Scriptures, especially in the book of Romans. So I hope you'll come next week and, and get involved as we, as we look at verses 10 through 14, this ritual of the covenant. Will you do that? Because as I said last week, the evil day is not coming. It's already here. This week has proved it to us, don't you think? Everybody's saying, singing, give me that online religion. But we need some old-time religion. And I'll tell you something, the only way we're going to be able to get anything accomplished in this world is to understand that all of our blessings are wrapped up in the name of El Shaddai. Y'all with me?